Well, this weekend, I want to talk about uh, when the world goes down. And, uh, you know, the last two years, of course, um, the pandemic has uh, struck us and has totally disrupted everything that we have uh, uh, seen around us. And a lot of lives have been uh, terribly affected by it, even now. And that's not counting the millions that have lost their lives because of it, right? And just as we see this pandemic coming towards an end and we think that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, all of a sudden, we have this con conflict in uh, Ukraine. And I just have a little slide of photos of some of the things that are happening in this conflict. And if you didn't know this, this is the largest scaled war in Europe since the Second World War. And, uh, and then yet again, it's as though the world uh, is being plunged into another round of turmoil. I mean, um, skyrocketing of uh, uh, fuel prices and uh, impact that is uh, felt all over the world. And not just that, in this conflict, it has to date resulted in over 3 million people that have been displaced from their homes and tens of thousands that have lost their lives on both sides, both the Russian as well as uh, Ukrainians. Now, when things like that happen, we are not insulated from the effects uh, that result. The question often begs to be answered, should we as a church huddle together and go on with service as usual? Or should we as believers and as a church be doing something more? Should we feel these things? Or should they just be a passing you know, a footnote on the newspapers that we read? And the answer is, of course, that we should do something about it. Amen? As Christians, we cannot stand by and see all these things that are happening and not be stirred in our hearts and compassion towards it. And, you know, for those of us here in Singapore, of course, you know, uh, the news is out that we can donate to the Red Cross and, uh, and they will um, aid the people that are there in Ukraine that are displaced. But what else can we do if you're residing in Europe, maybe you're closer to Ukraine, you know, then most definitely we should do more than just giving financially. And there are ministries right now in U Europe that are actively helping those uh, uh, Ukrainians who are displaced. And not just that, they're going to the borders where these refugees are flooding uh, over to Poland and different nations. They are sharing a border with Ukraine and sharing the gospel with them, helping them. I heard that one of the most prized uh, things that you can give to the Ukrainians as they come across the border is a power bank because that gives them access again to their electronic devices, particularly their phone. Now, there is a ministry that I want to recommend to you all that's, of course, um, uh, Ben Fitzgerald. And, um, and he's been, um, if you follow him on social media, you will see that his ministry has been actively reaching out, preaching the gospel, and they're seeing literally thousands of Ukrainians turning to salvation during this time. And it is wonderful to see the, the believers who are rising up during this season to really help those people who are going through a very difficult time. And, but as, as Singaporeans, considering that we are so far away from the conflict, what else can we do? What else can we really do? I believe that the most primary and necessary thing that we are to do is that we must pray for this conflict. Amen? Now, I know that this sounds really cliché. Pray? Yeah, okay. And as Christians, sometimes we just get tired of this word, pray, right? In, is our answer to everything pray? That's all we do? Are we, just not, are we just sitting on our bums as an excuse? You know, and then there's the question, does it really make a difference? Does our prayer make a difference? You know, how, and then, you know, on top of that, how do I pray? What do I pray for? Do I pray for the Russians or for the Ukrainians? Do I pray against Putin and for Zelensky? You know, this is what I want to address for us today because we read these things in the news and I want to encourage us as Christians when we read things like that, we must not be apathetic to it. 
right? The reason is that the crisis, you know, because the, the reason also is that crisis will keep happening over and over after this subsides. There'll be something else that will come up. And as Christians, we need to be, we need to learn how to understand and learn what is the right response to adopt whenever things like that begins to happen. Amen? So I want to give us some tools today because so many people over the last couple of weeks have asked me, Pastor Lip, what do we do about this? What do you stand on this? What do you believe? What do you see about this, you know? Uh, this conflict that's happening in Ukraine. And I hope to answer some of this from a very biblical point of view. The first thing I want to stress for us is that prayer does work. As Christians, we all know that we are to pray, but the problem is that so few of us actually believe in prayer. Unfortunately, that's the thing. We know to say it, but we don't actually do it. And by our inaction, we prove that we don't believe in prayer. We all know that we're supposed to pray in times of crisis, but most are not convinced that their prayers really make a difference. And the reason, of course, is, you know, the skill of such conflict is oftentimes so large. And guess what? We're just one person in our prayer closet praying does it make a difference? What's more, when we pray, we often don't see the results of our prayer, right? I mean, the conflict is, what, into its third week already, fourth week? And it is like, you know, it is like we're shooting arrows into the dark and we're not able to see where these arrows land. And it adds to our sense of wondering if our prayers even make a difference. Amen? Still others think that they're not spiritual enough. Perhaps we think that, hey, I'm not in some kind of position, I'm not a cell leader, I'm not a pastor, and so maybe my prayers don't count as much as some well-known intercessor does. You know, maybe, you know, the rest of the other Christians who are more spiritual, their prayer will make a greater difference. Now, all these things added together cloud our sense of the effectiveness and the vitalness of prayer. I want to recount something for us in, uh, from April to July of 1994. This is uh, some three decades ago. In the nation of Rwanda, a genocide began where the minority Tutsi people were being systematically killed by the majority Hutu over that period of time. At the height of the conflict, I remember coming to church one Sunday morning and Pastor Yang was stood up on stage, you know, and at that time the church was not very big, but he called the church to pray for the situation. I remember as a church, we prayed for, the, for that genocide to end, we prayed for the killing to stop, and honestly, I can't remember all the content of our prayers. I can't remember the specifics of what we prayed for. And I'm ashamed to say that I was actually oblivious to the genocide that's happening until Pastor Young talked about it on Sunday on stage. And prior to that, you know, I am passing glimpses of this in the newspapers, but I really didn't bother about it because Africa, that's so far away, it doesn't affect anything in my life. But what I do remember that morning was that when Pastor Young prayed, he asked the Lord to open a door for us to go to Rwanda and to be physically there to help the situation there. You know, um, the genocide, of course, after a couple of months finally ended. You know, uh, you, know um, you can re read about how that happened. And, uh, but the point is this, we didn't manage to travel to Rwanda to help either. You know, and, and we didn't, you know, it was as though that we prayed and yeah, the fight ended, the genocide ended, but we didn't, God didn't open it, a door for us right at that moment to go in and help the situation. But what is amazing is around the mid 2000s, some 10 years after that, God opened a door for us to go to Rwanda. And during that trip, I remember I got to visit the Genocide Museum in Kigali and it turned out to be one of the most moving experiences I've ever had. 
I remember stepping into that museum and tears rolling down my eyes right to the end. And I, walk, and I walked out of the place. I was so moved, especially the section which recorded and remembered all the little children that were uh, slaughtered and killed during the genocide. And I clearly remember coming off that museum and the Lord uh, began to remind me, hey, Lip, did you remember that you, you know, Cornerstone prayed for Rwanda? And did you not ask and, say, and express your willingness to come to Rwanda if given the opportunity? It was then that I felt the Lord saying that because of our prayers, He is now opening a door for us into that nation. By the end of that trip that we made, we entered into a partnership with a local church in Kigali and for the next 10 years, we started to travel regularly into Rwanda to help them train pastors. Our Bible school there has literally, literally trained hundreds of pastors for the nation of Rwanda. You know, and even now, it's amazing that Singapore actually has got very good relations, diplomatic relationships with Rwanda. The president of Rwanda comes to Singapore almost every year and there is now no visa required to go to that nation. And I believe all this is a result of prayer. I am certain that God heard the prayers of the church all over the world when the church rose up and prayed for Rwanda during that time and He preserved many more lives that could have been lost. When I was in that nation, I heard story after story from local Tutsis about how they were miraculously preserved and how the massacring army troops would come by and they would just miss them and they would, their lives would be preserved. And I know prayer does work. And I believe that those things, were the, those stories I heard were the direct results of the saints praying for the situation at that time. But more than that, our prayers are sown into the foundation of the nation and it continues to bear fruits even after the conflict and the crisis is over. I want you to consider this in this conflict that is happening in Ukraine. We have got to pray. Because our prayers will not just affect the present, it will affect the future of that whole region. In Luke chapter 18, verse 8, Jesus talks about this. He said this to his people. He said, I tell you that God will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, Jesus is talking about not a vengeance of revenge, but he's talking about answer to prayer. That when we pray, God will answer us quickly. Amen. But the issue is not whether God will answer because he will for certain answer our prayers. The issue is if he would find us praying. Because if the people of God aren't praying, then there is no answer because prayers are not being offered to the Lord. I want to encourage you to pray over the situations that's happening in the world today. Now, the second thing I want to say about this in, in looking at these conflicts is that it is not the end times. Now, I know this title is going to be a little bit uh, of a con uh, controversy, okay? And so I don't want anyone to jump to any wrong conclusion to say that, hey, Pastor Lip doesn't believe in the second coming of Jesus. He doesn't believe in the end times. Firstly, I do believe in the end times. I believe that Jesus is coming back again. I believe that there will be a three and a half years of tribulation followed by three and a half years of the great tribulation, that the Antichrist, the false prophets, all these characters that are spoken of in the, throughout the Bible will all make their appearances. But I want to say this, what I've observed and come to dislike is that every time a crisis occurs, some quarters of the Christian church will start declaring, it is the last days, it is the end times, and that these events mark the beginning of tribulation and so on and so forth. All of a sudden, all these doomsayers will make their appearance suddenly. And what they do is that they bring a sense of fear and anxiety. They bring the sense of panic in the hearts of believers. Now, this is my take, okay? This is my take. We have been in the last days for the last 2,000 years. Hello? Because even in the times of the apostles, they considered themselves to be living in the end times. 
1 John 2, 18, this is what John the, Revela- uh, John the Revelator, the apostle of love said this. He said, little children, it is the last hour and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. 2,000 years ago, John said it's the last hour. My belief is this, that we should not think of the end times as something that is coming, but instead we need to think of it as something that is already here. That we have begun living in the end times since the day that Jesus ascended back to the Father. Knowing it is the end times is to realize the season and the dispensation that we are living. We've got to stop thinking as as the end times as an event that is coming. Instead, we need to think of it as a state that we live in constantly. Because this is what the apostles taught us. This is how the apostles lived. They live as though the end times, they they live knowing that they are already in the end times. Amen? And they live circumspectly. You see, when you think of something as an event, there is a mentality that goes with it. When you think about an event, what do you do? You count days. Hey, how many more days before the event happens? When will it happen? How long will it be? How long will this event last? Will we get raptured before or after the tribulation? You know, we become reactive to the things that happen we think short term. We go into a survival mode. But when you think of something as a constant state, if you believe that the end times is a state that you are to live in constantly, then you know what? You got to learn how to live in this state every single day. You got to understand that while you're in this state, there is still a mission to be fulfilled during this season, and you know, and also how to continue to thrive in these times, right? Let me give you a practical example. You know, before COVID struck, we had Kingdom Invasion conference, and. A conference is an event. It takes up nine months to organize it, and we count the days towards the, the event itself. In fact, one of the things we do, we think, hey, seven more months, you know, uh, you know, publicity has been launched. How many people have signed up? Oh, three more months. How many people have signed up? Oh, we, don't, we are not meeting the target. We've got to push for it. And as the conference draws near, there is a sense of a heightened activity. And then all of a sudden, we throw all our resources, all our manpower. Do you know that the week leading up to the conference itself, we stop all our activities here in church and the staff because we are just focused on the event. Our, our manpower is all shifted to uh, the Singapore Expo or the conference venue and we focus on it and when the event, the four-day event of the conference is over, you know what? We finished it. We cheer, we sigh relief and thank God, praise the Lord, the event is over, right? But you know, when it comes to running church, it's altogether different because what? There is no end to church. Church is on every week. Church is on Mondays to Fridays, not just on the weekends. It is something that we do week in, week out, day in, day out. It's not just about the weekend services. It's about everything else of caring and discipling the people. We think about the activities that we do and we think sustainability. We think about doing it in the over and over. We don't think of it as just one single event. We don't even just think about a single weekend. Instead, we think about the generations. We think about one generation to the next. Everything we do, we consider longevity and we consider continuation. Now, I've heard this before and this is what I dislike. People say this, hey, you know what? End times are, end times are. Quick, uh, you know, liquidate your, your money, go and buy gold, go and keep gold, you know. Preserve your finances, you know. 
you know what? We should go and buy land. New Zealand, very good. Far out in the corner of nowhere. Nobody goes there. Let's run away to New Zealand. Let's find a hiding place and shelter there. You know what? Buy farmland. Let's grow our own food. Let's rear our own cattle so that we'll be self-sufficient and we can weather through the years of the tribulation and the tribulation will not touch us. Praise the Lord. You know what? This whole attitude runs contrary to the nature and the flavour of everything that Jesus is. Can you imagine Jesus living in our days in the end times and running away? The, the result of this mentality is that it detracts us from the mission that we have now. And Jesus says, you are the soul of the earth, the light of the world. I did not take you out of this world. I put you in this world, but you're not of this world. Amen. It is to be immersed in the world, in society, to make a difference and to bear witness for, Christ, for Jesus. As darkness increases, the light will also intensify. How can you remove the light and put it somewhere else? Only New Zealand needs the light. We are not called to disengage or to build silos and to run away. The mentality the end time preachers promulgate is one that is all about self-preservation. Look behind what is this attitude. It is all about preserving self. It is an attitude that produces cowardice. It's an attitude that is escapism mentality. And I want to suggest to you that it is not Christ at all. So steer clear of all these people who always like to show up when you know, COVID comes out. Oh, end times, end times, end times. Hello, already end times already, you know, since John. However, when we focus on being in a constant state of knowing that we are already in the end times, it makes us live soberly. We are not to sink our roots into the things of this world. You see, because if you think that the end times is coming and you know, okay, it's 50 years from now, you know what you'll do? Hey, still got 50 years, lah, you know. Let me do my investment, let me buy a house, let me do this, let me do that. When it comes nearer, I'll liquidate everything and live for Jesus. Excuse me, you live for Jesus now. This is to be our constant state. Not only that, we focus on evangelism, we focus on discipleship, and we constantly focus on these things because we need to reach the lost and we need to train the next generation. Amen? Now, I want to end this point off by saying this, and I hope I don't offend anybody, but I just want us to think for a moment. Okay, I want to say this. Who cares who the Antichrist is going to be? Everybody wants to know, wow, is Bill Gates the Antichrist? Is this person? Stop it, okay? I know Jesus said the gates of hell should not prevail against... Uh, but it's not Bill Gates, okay? That's the different gate. It's a different kind of gate, okay? The one thing we do need to know is that the description of the Antichrist is given to us very, very clearly in the Bible, but I don't think it's given to us so that we can go around spotting who he is. I think not, Jesus doesn't want us to go and think, I think this is the Antichrist. I think that's the Antichrist, right? I think instead what it's, it's about knowing the nature of the spirit of Antichrist, that spirit of immorality, of pride, of violence, and so on, right? This is the nature of the Antichrist, the fact that he was a warring general, undefeated, the violence seeped into every part of this Antichrist spirit. And it is to lead us to reject these things. So reject the nature of the Antichrist. But what is more important is that we need to focus on Christ. We must go past the superficiality of our Christian walk to a place where we learn to hear His voice. We have our natures transform and change. We become conformed to the image of Christ because the more you focus on Christ, the more you will reject anything that is Antichrist. Amen. The more you understand the genuine, the more you can identify what is the fake. The third point I want to help us to understand when you see these 
conflicts that's happened, is to ask a simple question, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? And it's a great example to consider this conflict in Ukraine, right? Because as you consider this conflict, immediately I ask you, hey, who, which side are you on? There'll be people who say, and it's very easy for us then to follow the media narrative and take sides, right? In fact, right now, the bulk of the world, the free world, share Zelensky and the Ukrainians, and at the same time, they vilify Putin and the Russians. But can I tell you what? This is wrong. This is wrong. It is not, because if you take either one of their sides, then you've forgotten that you're supposed to be on God's side. Let me establish this. There's only one side we are to take, and that is God's side. And God's side is not focused on either the Ukrainian or the Russian. It is, instead, it is focused on the needless loss of lives. And more importantly, God's side is about the salvation of those whom He has laid His life for. Amen. That's what Jesus did. Jesus laid his life for lost souls and right now there are thousands who are dying and that wrecks the heart of our Father in heaven. That breaks the heart of Jesus because for them he died. I want to establish a couple of things for us to understand this. Number one, we war not against flesh and blood. We know this, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, look at all these things. There is not a human person mentioned here. These are spiritual forces. And what it means is that we really don't pray against people, but we pray against spiritual forces that seek to precipitate war, bloodshed, and unrest. That's what the demonic thrives on, and we must defeat the demonic because the nature of Christ is peace. The prince of peace, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. That's a nature that that the devil cannot imitate. It is peace that comes from above. Now, what this also means is this. We shouldn't be signing up to join the International Legion in Ukraine, okay? So please, Cornerstonian, nobody go and sign up, okay, to fight. Because it's not a flesh and war, it's not a flesh and blood war, okay? Neither do we take on political lenses and start taking political sides. Uh, to engage in the politics of a conflict is to miss the point of this verse, because then you're engaging according to uh, flesh and blood. So let me put it this way, we don't pray for which side to win, which side to lose. We don't pray for the, but, but instead what we do is we pray for the war to stop. We pray that lives will not be lost. We focus on people and we pray for them. Amen. I want to encourage you, if you don't know what else to pray, pray for this conflict to stop. Pray that lives will not be lost. And I know that lives are being lost every day, hundreds, thousands, but man, we got to keep praying for them. Amen. The second thing why we don't take sides and we take God's side is that we really don't have the full picture. Amen. When it comes to world events, they are usually very, very complicated. There's historical, geographical, political, economic issues. They're all underpinning these things that happen. And there's no simple way of explaining why a conflict happens. At least for me, I find myself often unable to fully grasp the full extent of what is happening, not just on the surface of what is visible, but also behind the scenes, what is invisible, because we just don't, are not exposed to understand those things. Now, even when it comes to world personalities, we oftentimes see these people as what is projected in the media, and we really gloss over reality of who they are. I remember when I was growing up in the 80s, I was in secondary school, you know, and it was the Cold War period, and um, of course, not as intense as in the 70s, but at that time, there was a world character by the name of Mikhail Gorbachev. 
What a nice name, Mikhail Gorbachev. He was the eighth leader of the Soviet Union. And I remember this as a young Christian. This man was terribly vilified, okay? And I recall how many Christians in those days, they would literally say this, he is the Antichrist. Do you notice the mark on his forehead? I, no, I'm saying that I'm serious for those of you who don't even know who Gorbachev is. This is what I grew up in the 80s knowing this man is the Antichrist, right? And then lo and behold, he ended up being the one who brought about reforms that led to the end of the USSR, the reunification of Germany, greater, greater openness called Glasnost, and the end of the Cold War, right? And then on the other hand, there is another man called Winston Churchill. This is the celebrated Prime Minister of the United Kingdom during the Second World War, considered the key to United, the United Kingdom's survival against Nazi Germany. And of course, he's got many quotable quotes attributed to him. And, uh, but you know what? What is little known and publicised is his dislike for Indian people. Okay? While the Second World War was raging, India was struck by a terrible famine that came to become known as the Bengali Famine. Most of us never learned this in our history books because everybody in a history book only teaches you about the Second World War. And during this Bengali Famine, some three million people died from the famine. Right? And historians have long agreed that Churchill and his cabinet could have greatly alleviated the devastation of the famine, but he chose not to. There were literally in the storehouses of the British army tons and tons of food that could have been released to the people in Bengali to save their lives. At one point, this is officially recorded, that Winston Churchill said this, he said, it is pointless to help the Indians because they are, they are breeding like rabbits. This is what, this is Winston Churchill saying this, but the history books, we don't talk about this. The saying goes that Hitler, while Hitler was killing his six million Jews in Europe, Hitler, Churchill was wiping out three million Indians in India. Now, I'm no historian, and I'm no expert, neither am I seeking to judge these personalities of history. If you are listening to this and you, how can you say that about Winston Churchill? He's my hero. You know, if you are upset and you disagree with me, hey, that's wonderful, that's good. You know what? It simply proves and furthers my point that we really don't know the full picture. Only God knows. So stop looking at Twitter, stop looking at all these news and then deciding for yourself that, hey, I'm going to believe what they say. I'm gonna... You know, you have a father in heaven that you can lean in and put your ears on his bosom and ask, Papa, what is on your heart? How do you want me to pray? Lord, what do you think? What do you feel about this? Maybe you might just feel the glisten, the glisten of his tears dropping on your forehead. And how Father's heart is broken over the terrible loss of life. You know, in 2 Chronicles 33, uh, there is uh, recorded for us, you know, the life of uh, a, a king by uh, a, a king of Judah by the name of Manasseh. And he is not one of the good kings. He's not a Hezekiah. He's not a Uzziah. You know, he's definitely no David, okay? And, not only, and he was considered one of the worst kings in the history of Judah. And he not only did worse than all the kings of Judah before him, he did worse than all the pagan kings before him. He did so bad that Judah was condemned to captivity because of him. Okay? And he, he did so horribly bad. The, the judgment that came as a result of this king was so unprecedented. But you know what's amazing? This king was one of the longest reigning kings in Judah. 55 years he reigned in Judah. 55 years. That's very long. But in, in 2 Chronicles uh, 33, what you'll discover is that towards the latter part of this life, somehow this man, Manasseh, repented. He actually turned back to the Lord. 
He actually came to a place where he tried to undo the wrong that he had done previously. You know, the thing is this, my point is simply to make it. You don't know a person's end. And what is so important for us then is to lean close to the Father because the Father knows and we pray as the Father gives us instruction. Amen. You know, I want to close off by giving us some scriptures that instructs us on how and what to pray for. If you don't know what else to pray, pray these things. You can't go wrong because they're in the Bible. The first thing is this. We pray for all those people who are in authority and for peace in the nations. This is something God calls us to pray. 1 Timothy 2, 1, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 2 tells us simply this, that we are to uh, uh, you know, make supplications, prayers, intercession, giving thanks for all men, for kings, and for all those who are in authority. And the purpose is so that we can lead peaceable lives. Right? We pray. Now, when, when Paul wrote this, you've got to understand, he didn't live in the democracy. He didn't live under a good king. He lived under one of the most bloodthirsty Caesars of his days. And yet, he prayed this. Pray for those who are in authority. Even the ones that you don't like. Even the ones that you didn't vote for. Okay? Jeremiah 27, uh, 29 verse 7 says this, And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for its peace, and you will have peace. Pray for peace. Pray for the, our nation. Pray for our surrounding, for Southeast Asia. Pray for Myanmar. Pray for peace in these nations. This is God's desire for us. Pray for peace even in Ukraine and in Russia. Amen. The second thing that we, uh, the Bible tells us, to, uh, uh, shows us a key is we have to stand in identification with the nation's sin and to pray for revival. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 5 to 11, a long six verses in which is recorded for us how Nehemiah prayed. And there is a little um, format to it, how he identified the sins of the nation and then he prayed for God's forgiveness and asked for revival. 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, we all know my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Amen? So in the midst of this, pray, stand, in, stand in, in identification with the things that are happening and ask God's forgiveness for the needless loss of life and pray for revival. Pray for revival. Amen? And the third thing is we pray for the harvest and the Great Commission in Matthew 9, 38. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His field. In the midst of this, pray for the European churches that they will wake up, they'll arise, and they'll begin to see the need. They'll go out and they'll reach out to the Ukrainians. Matthew 28, 19, of course, is the great commission that's given to us. And uh, the, the fourth thing that we can do is we must pray for the oppressed, the hungry, the widows, and the orphans. Psalms 146, verse 7 and 8 shows us a sense of where God's heart is. Isaiah 1, 17. Also, it says, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And these are the things that we are supposed to do. Now, I absolutely believe this church that we got to grow up. Amen. We are called to be a house of prayer for all nations and also to have wisdom to know how to pray. We cannot continue to be swayed by global events, tossed to and fro by every wind of CNN or Fox News or whatever it might be, okay? We got to stop being tossed by all these things and we got to come to a place because I'm telling you, we all have access to the heart of the Father. It was not just John the Apostle who could lean his ears to the bosom of Christ, but as many as are willing to, as many as are willing to press to the Lord can put their ears to the heart of our Father and hear what the Father is saying. The greatest tra tragedy is people dying without Jesus. Amen. And that should be the foremost in our prayers. It must be to pray for the salvation 
salvation of men and women. And if nothing else, pray for the salvation of Russians. Pray for God to reveal Himself to them. Pray for the churches there in Russia. In the same way, pray for Ukraine. Pray for those who are in a place of desperation that they'll call out to God and God will answer them. Miracles will happen. They'll see the hand of God preserving their lives and people will turn to salvation. Amen. Church, I want to invite you to stand and we're going to pray. Amen. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for this conflict that's happening. And, you know, we're going to lift this up to the Lord because God hears our prayers. Amen. And it is the heart of the Father that these conflicts should stop. It is the heart of the Father that the bloodshed should cease. It is the heart of the Father that all men, women, child shall come to the saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, that their eyes will be opened and they will see what Jesus has done for them. I'm telling you the magnitude of the the universe, the vastness of this world that we live in, and yet there is a God who knows us. We are so so infinitely small. We are minuscule. And yet there is a God who created the vastness of the universe and who sees us and knows us by name. I bet you God knows every person in Ukraine, Russia, and sees the pain they're going through. Every soldier on the Russian side, every mother who has lost a child, you know, every, every family that's been separated, every concern, every worry, fathers who are defending their land and their family are wondering, what is happening to my dad? And I want to ask you just to put yourself in that shoes because I'm telling you, when you put your ears to the heart of God the Father, He will cause you to hear the cries of the people that are in that place suffering right now so that when you pray, you don't just pray words, you pray knowing the Father's heart in this matter. Amen. Church, I want to ask you, let's join our hearts Let's for the next couple of moments. Let's all pray in the Spirit, shall we? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just come to you, Lord, as a people. Father, we thank you that your word declares to us, Lord, if any two of us can agree on any matter, Lord, here on earth, it shall be done for us, O God. And we come as a body here in this nation, Lord. Though we are far away from those nations that are in conflict, Father, we stand in agreement this morning and we pray, Lord, for this war to stop in Jesus' name, Lord. Father, we pray for the fighting to end, Lord, in Jesus' name, O God. Father, we pray, O God, for every needless loss of life, Lord, to cease right now that the enemy shall not have his way to destroy, Lord, to steal, to kill, O God. Father, we pray for a cessation, O God, of this war of firing, O God, of missile attacks, O God. Father, we pray for all the battles and the fights to stop right now in Jesus' name, O God. Father, you are in control, O God, and you know things that are happening that we do not know of, Lord. Father, you don't just see the big picture, Lord, but Lord, you see every family, every child, Lord, every father, every mother, Lord, every son and every daughter, Lord, both Russians and Ukrainians, Lord. Father, every tongue, every tribe, Lord, that is precious to you because Jesus died for all, Lord. And Father, we embrace what you have done for every person and we pray peace in 
Jesus name Lord we pray for all those who are in authority oh God that Lord they will stop Lord Lord if you're involved in this war that they will cease and they will stop in Jesus name Lord Lord we ask you to intervene God and Father we soar right now in prayer into the foundation of the nation of Russia and in the nation of Ukraine oh God we pray revival in this nation oh God we pray oh God Lord for churches to be revived and to become strong Lord we pray for Christians oh God to begin to arise oh God and to begin to walk in compassion and in love oh God preaching the gospel Lord we pray for signs wonders miracles to happen Lord that lives may be preserved and eyes be turned Lord towards the one true God who is above oh Lord Father we bless you oh God and Lord as brothers and sisters Lord we stand Lord united in our hearts Lord to pray for our brothers and our sisters Lord who are in these nations who are suffering oh God who are going through displacement Lord who have faced loss Lord Father, we pray, Lord, that you'll comfort them, O oh God. And Father, Lord, that even as these, there's this great shaking that even now that you will lay a foundation of righteousness, O oh God, that you will, you will lay a foundation of vengeance, O oh God. Not a vengeance that seeks, Lord, uh, uh, for a return of blood, Lord, but a vengeance that results in a salvation of many, O oh God, to come, O oh Lord, for revival in these nations, O oh God. Father, we just lift this conflict up into your hands, O oh God, and we stand in prayer, Lord. Father, we pray that you touch our hearts that we'll never become apathetic to the things that are happening around us oh god but then lord you also give us wisdom lord to know how to pray and what to do oh god that we will no longer be tossed to and fro lord by every wind of news oh god and narrative oh god but we will know that there is one that we can come to we can come to the father's heart lord we can lean close lord to your bosom and hear what is it that you are saying oh god so father we pray and stand lord when we want to be available lord to be your troops lord in prayer lord to be your troops lord that will bring forth peace on this earth oh god through our prayers oh god lord father we thank you lord we give you praise we give you glory we give you honor lord and now father i just pray your blessings over your congregation my brothers and my sisters lord lord the blessings of god the father the blessings of god the son and the blessings of god the holy spirit be with us and abide with us now and forevermore and everybody say amen come on let's give the lord a clap after. amen listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.